0: If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm just going to read one verse to you. I'm going to read verse 8 to you. I'll give you just a moment to find James chapter 4. You know, uh, this section of James uh, chapter 4, really going into chapter 5, uh... It's set up, and it's just you know a couple paragraphs uh, that are in prose, and I didn't even understand what that was for a long time. But I just realized recently that if you look at this, is really uh, there's a list of proverbs here. Uh, Think about that as you go through and you read that in the the future. That a lot of this here in this part of James could easily fit into the book of Proverbs. I mean, it goes right along with it. It's, It's proverbs that are set up like that for the Christian, and so. Anyways, James chapter four. So I just want to look at verse eight, and so uh, and I want to just take a moment here this morning and just uh, share a few thoughts with you. James chapter eight—I mean chapter four, verse eight—says, "Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded." Let's stop right there. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you poured out on us. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for each one you've sent our way. Thank you, Lord, for just, uh, Lord, you've been so good to us, so much better than what we deserve. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus. Lord God, you sent him and you give him even when we were at war with you, even when we were your enemy, even when we were rebelling against you. You still gave your son for us. He died on Calvary's cross for our sins. Not his. He didn't have any. You loved us that much. And God, I think that's easy for us to forget or it's easy for us to take it for granted. I pray that we would never do that. I pray, Lord, that we would always give you all the praise and glory because you alone are worthy of it. And, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is for each one that is sitting here this morning under the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that you would just open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them ears to hear what you would say by your spirit this morning, eyes to see uh, what you would tell them in your word here this morning, hearts to receive it. to be obedient, and to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. God, my my heart's desire, Lord, is for you to have your way and your will here in our midst. God, for you to move by your sweet Holy Spirit in a mighty way. Lord, for you to have such a profound impact and effect on us here this morning that we would leave here different than how we come in, that we would leave here changed forever by your word. So Lord, I'm asking help us get out of the way and let you be God of this service this morning. Move in a mighty way here and we'll give you all of the glory. Lord, if there is any here this morning that doesn't know you, any that are lost, any here that are not sure if they were to die today, what would happen after that? God, let today be the day that their eyes be opened. Let today be the day that you pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them and that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. And, Lord, let me ask one more thing of you here this morning. I need your help. I can't preach without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'd fill me full of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you'd anoint me from on high. God, that you'd use me here as your messenger, Lord, from from you through my spirit to theirs. Lord, that you'd preach me here one more time, and I'll be sure and give you all the glory for it, because you alone are worthy. So, Lord, have your way and your will in our midst. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all here this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. They say that they, in the first century, the Jews had, uh, you know, a blessing that they would offer. Um, And I I guess I I don't know, I wasn't, I didn't live in the first century and I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't, haven't ever been a Jew. So I guess I don't know this 100% for sure, but that's what they say. I've, I've read about it. I've seen it written by experts who should know or claim to know. Uh, but regardless, whether it was really a thing back then or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is just as good either way. Anyways, what the blessing was, is what they would say to each other, you know, kind of like we'll say, God bless you or whatever, is they would say, may you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Rabbi, May you always be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Um Don't read too much into what rabbi, into that word rabbi, because when we think of rabbi, we probably think, we think of Jews, and we think of, like, that's their equivalent to a a minister or a priest or something like that. But really, all that word rabbi means is teacher. Uh, They refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher or master many times throughout the scripture. And so what they're saying is, may you always be covered by the dust of your teacher. It meant what it what they meant by that was that the disciple would follow their rabbi, their teacher, so close that the dust from the rabbi's feet. Think about it, right? A dry, arid land, and as he walks down a dusty path, the dust that is rises up, that is stirred up by his footsteps. Right by him merely walking the dust that you would be so close following him so close the dust from his footsteps would fall on you would land on you you would constantly be covered by his dust that is the idea right that's the the picture and and it offers a, a, a vivid picture of what it looks like right to follow someone, Uh, right? I'm going to offer it to you this way. I think it offers a vivid picture of what it should look like to follow Christ. We should be in such close proximity to Him that we can't help but be impacted by His presence. Can I just be completely honest with you for just a minute? I am a person of short patience. That's not a virtue. That's a that's a negative. Okay. Um. I'm I I feel like my patience sometimes it gets tried a lot. I know that I fail a lot and don't exercise uh, patience like I should. And I'll be quite honest with you, I'm a little bit afraid to ask God for more patience because I'm not really sure that I want to go through what it would take, you know, uh, what the answer to that prayer would be. And when I think about this, you think in the sense of a human teacher, somebody following me that closely, my patience would wear thin. I would quickly be annoyed and probably wouldn't be very much fun to follow. But the beauty in this is the one that we should be following Jesus, right? So so the beauty of this blessing is that our teacher, our master, right, Jesus, he actually wants us to be that close to him. Do you see what I'm saying? I I don't know. Some of you have had um, little ones that would follow you really close, right? Think about that for just a minute, right? I mean, uh, moms or grandmas in the kitchen, right? How often have you had little ones follow you so close that really they're kind of under your feet? I I can think about me, right, doing stuff outside, whether I'm working on something, building something, fixing something or whatever. There's been times where there's little ones that are so close, right? For us, humanly, it's a little bit of a test of patience because every time you turn around, they're right under your feet, you know. And so, But, but I mean, think about the whole scenario for a minute. Why are they following you so closely? They're wanting to be like you. And right, it actually, there's some sort of deep down here, we really think about this, right? There there is there's something there that is saying or showing that one day they can be me. Not that we can ever be Jesus, but we can be Christ-like. We're to strive to be Christ-like. And for us, it may be a test sometimes we might handle it well and sometimes we might not handle it very well but the beauty in this and in this blessing is that's how close christ wants you to be that's how close he longs for you to be that's how close we are to be that's how we are to follow so I think if we were honest with ourselves when we think of Jesus we thought that he'd be far from us you know because of what we've done right we are sinful creatures but it turns out that we were wrong I'm going to be bluntly honest with you today. I'm always honest, but sometimes I'm not as blunt. Today I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. Here's the very painful truth. Your spiritual maturity, your closeness to God, that's what I'm talking about this morning, right? Your closeness to God directly equals your spiritual maturity. There's a direct connection there. It does not depend on God. It depends on you. Every step you are away from God is your fault and my fault, not his fault. So, my first point this morning. You are as near to God as you want to be. Listen to the verse again. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. It doesn't say, draw near to God, and he might draw near to you. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then it goes on and talks about, right, it says uh, cleanse your hands uh, and purify your hearts, right? The hands speak of our actions. The heart uh, represents our motives and our desires, right? In other words, we're looking at external and internal things here, right? We're talking about sincerity here, right? We've been talking about that a lot uh, in Bible study. Double-minded uh, when it says when it you know calls uh, calls us double-minded double-minded may allude to mixed motives right uh, it, it divided allegiances right or it could be just talking about doubts possibly referring to somebody who is a chronic doubter right who is continually doubting but listen to me don't miss the beauty of what is being said here If you will draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And if this doesn't happen, it's not the church's fault. Right? We like to blame the church sometimes. It's not somebody in the church's fault. That's even more popular. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not some family member's fault. It's not God's fault either. It's your fault. It's our fault. No one stands between you and God but you. No one stands between me and God but me. You are all that you are spiritually because that's all that you want to be. Do you understand what I'm saying here this morning? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. We have prayed as much as we wanted to pray. We have read the Bible as much as we've wanted to read it. We've witnessed to as many people as we wanted to witness to. We have served God to the extent or as much as what we wanted to. The truth that I'm trying to share with you this morning is we are as close to God as we want to be. And we've got nobody, there's nobody standing between us and God except for ourselves. There is nobody holding us back from a closer, more intimate walk with God than me, myself, and I, than us, ourselves. Let me give you a second point here. Right, my first one was, you're as close to God as you want to be. My second one is this. God is waiting on you. I am included in you, the you as collective, us as a church, all Christians, right? God is waiting on us. God waits for you to take your next step. Did did you really listen to the to the scriptures that Nolan read to us this morning out of Psalms eighty one? If not, go back and read that after a while. Especially the last three or four verses, like thirteen through sixteen or whatever. Did you pick up and notice as he read those scriptures to us this morning that God longs for what might have been? Did you catch that in those scriptures? If not, go back and read it. If so, go back still, go back and read it. God, God longs for what might have been. God knows the potential of your relationship and our relationship with him and longs for the time when we will take another step towards him. Draw nigh. And he'll draw nigh to us. Draw near. Listen to me. We cannot legitimately blame God. We, we like to. That is human nature is it not? Most of the people that I've actually I don't want to sound like this 100% guaranteed you know so that's actually the only reason I said most of the people every single person that I have ever talked to that was aggressively opposed to God, Jesus Christ and Christianity. Now there's a lot of people that you encounter that are just flippant, right? That just literally could care less. I'm not talking about that group. I'm talking about the group that is aggressively opposed. As you as the conversations that I have had as you go along in this conversation There is one thing that will begin to make itself clear to you. The real root of the thing is they're angry at God. And they blame God for something. Right? There's something that has happened in their past. And ultimately their argument against God is if God was real, he wouldn't have let this happen to me right? It it could be something tragic. It could be something, you know, they could have abused when they were young, right? They could have lost somebody close to them tragically. It could have been different circumstances they've been through, right? There's a whole array of things. It could be illness that they've had and, and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is they're angry with God and they blame God. It's in our nature to blame God. This isn't a new phenomenon. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what happened there? Right? Okay, so God makes this paradise, right? This is the Garden of Eden, right? It's perfect, okay? God, uh, I mean, it is, it is It is fertile. It is fruitful, right? There is plenty to eat. The vegetation is lush. He sets the perfect man and perfect woman in the midst of the garden and he tells them that they may freely take and eat of anything there except for that one tree right over there. You see that tree right over there? The one in the midst, right? The tree of of knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat of that. Well, without getting into a whole lot of stuff, that doesn't last very long. It's like telling your kids don't touch that. They're going to touch it. Right? And so anyways, it's not long until the woman and the man both eat of the tree and then it says in the cool evening when God come and was walking in their midst like it gives the impression that that was the normal thing that's how it normally went and God and and Adam and Eve are ashamed of their sin and what they've done. Right, they realize they're naked and they're ashamed of it, right? They're exposed, right? They try to cover their sin with fig leaves and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And they hide from God. And God, He knows. But they need to know that He knows. And so He calls them out on it. And anyways, as the conversation ensues, as you know, God asks them, what would you do? And... Told you you were naked, and you know, not that he didn't know, but they're needing to confess to what they did, they need to know that he knows. Do you remember what Adam's response was? It's that woman that you gave me, blame. Right? And and he's not... Listen to the statement. It's not even so much that he's blaming the woman. He's more so blaming God because you gave her to me, God. And if you hadn't gave her to me, I would not be in this mess right now. It ain't right. But it's human nature what we do. And I'm telling you right now. The reason that you are not any closer to God than what you are, ain't that woman that he gave you's fault. It ain't that man that he gave you's fault. It ain't them kids that he gave you's fault. It ain't that church that he died for's fault. It's your own fault. My own fault. It's our fault, not his fault he's waiting for us to take the next step so let me just share with you right what some of the next steps might look like right the idea is draw near he's waiting for us to take a step we ought to be so close that metaphorically anyways that the dust right lands on us doesn't land on the ground between us and him. It lands on us. We should be covered in the dust of Jesus. And if you ain't, then draw near. He's not going to run from you. Let's start here. How do we draw near? Right priorities. Right? Hey, look. Let me talk in general for just a minute. It's as simple as this. Wrong priorities are steps away from God. Right priorities are steps towards God. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. If you choose to go out and carouse around on Saturday night, is that a right priority or a wrong priority, right? And there's going to be a whole list of consequences that come from that, right? Right? Okay. All right. Do I need to go into it? I think you understand what I'm saying. What all right? The result of that is going to be right. It's not going to be that you are at church Sunday morning for Sunday school, bright-eyed, cheetah, participating eagerly in Sunday school. Right? That's gonna. That's not going to be the consequence of that at all. Right? It's going to be multiple steps in the other direction. Wrong priorities are steps. Away from God. Right priorities are steps towards him. Can, can I just emphasize real quick, first of all, the, the spiritual part, right? I, I, I don't want to get too caught up. I, I don't want it to sound legalistic. I don't want it to sound like, um, you know, if you got this checklist and you make sure that you at least read a few verses out of your Bible every day, say a couple prayers, uh, in one way or another, no matter what happens, you know, you drag yourself and make yourself and make sure that you get there on Sunday morning to church, right, even though that you're miserable, uh, even though your eyes are bloodshot, even though you don't feel like it, even though it's the last place that you want to be, you still get that box checked off. I don't want it to sound like that if you got that kind of checklist and you just power through and make sure that you make it all, that you're near God in good shape, because that's not true. Your heart's got to be right, first of all. Right? There's got to be a level of sincerity there. Right? you you, you got to long to be near God. You've got to want something more than what you've got right now. You do realize that, Right? <laughs> I mean, if you want something, right, the closer you walk to God, right? I mean, the nearer you are, right, the more, right, the blessed that you are to be in his presence, the more that there is, the more the dust that's going to fall on you. Your heart's got to be, your heart's got to be in it. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be for real. You've got, you got to actually want it. I mean, this ain't just fire insurance. You ever heard that phrase, uh, that term before, speaking of uh, salvation and Christianity, fire insurance. Fire insurance is simply this. You're afraid that hell might be real and you don't want to take the chance. So therefore, you're going to, you've got a checklist of certain things that you're going to make sure that you accomplish in your life and occasionally do some of these things just enough that you've got your fire insurance policy that just in case there really is a hell, that hopefully you won't end up there. Hopefully your insurance will cover you. That's fire insurance. Your fire insurance policy ain't worth nothing. And if that's what you're if that's what you're banking on and what you're counting on, I'll tell you how I'll tell you where your fire insurance policy will get you. It'll get you a first class ticket to hell. Your heart has got to be in it. It's got to be real. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. Right? I I mean, do you remember the whole incident, right? Whenever they are uh, going through and they're looking for a king for Israel, right? And, And God has sent Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be king of Israel. And they've got an idea, they've got a picture in their mind what it is that a king looks like. Well, Samuel does, okay? And so Samuel thinks a king needs to be. A big, strong, strapping boy, head and shoulders among the rest of them. Good-looking young man. One that all the girls fawn over. Well, they end up anointing David, and that ain't at all what David looked like. He was a little run of the bunch. Naughty-kneed, ruddy, red-headed, you know. I've heard people try to explain that ruddy means good-looking. I don't know about that. But anyways, he was the run of the bunch. He was the youngest of the bunch. And God explains it to Samuel this way. Man looks on the outward, but God sees the heart. You, you think God's changed? You think it's different now than what it was then? God's still looking at the heart. He is still looking at the heart. God don't care a whole lot about the outward appearance. And I got new for you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Right? This little short fat boy is going to shed this earthly body one day. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm looking forward to the day. Do you know that the Bible tells us in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that the trumpet of God is going to sound. Hallelujah. The voice of the archangel. Glory to God. is going to shout. He's going to stop time. He's going to split that eastern sky. He's going to step out in glory. And We are going to be caught up and meet him together in the the air and be with him forevermore. And you know what else is going to happen? (laughs) This mortal body, this corruptible body, this corruptible seed, glory to God, and I'm going to exchange it for something that's immortal, for something that's incorruptible. Right? This earthly body, this terrestrial body, for a celestial body, for a heavenly body i got no idea what that one's going to look like. I tell Jennifer, it's going to be better looking than this one, but I don't see how that's possible. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. God looks at the heart. What if that celestial body reflects the heart? There's your thought. But let me give you some practical steps, too. There's, there's dry times, there's low times, there's times where we just need to keep plugging along. And so not only right priorities, but right habits. Right? I'm talking about our daily walk, right? That's the image I'm trying to paint for you here. You're walking, following your teacher, your master, your savior, Jesus. You're following him, right? And you should be following him so closely his dust lands on you. So we should be striving to walk close to God. We should be striving to carry out the will of God, right? To serve God, to do the things that God uh, wants us to do, that we know that he makes clear to us right here in his word that he wants us to do, right? We need to spend time, right, uh, communicating with him both in prayer and reading his word. We need to spend time. What else? What other, Some right, other right habits? We need to spend time talking about Jesus. There is, isn't that an amazing thing? Right? If you love him as much as you claim and you're not just carrying around an insurance policy, a fire insurance policy in your back pocket. See, if all you've got is a fire insurance policy uh, card that you're carrying in your wallet, then you know what? Maybe you might accidentally tell somebody about it if they happen to bring it up and maybe they, maybe you won't. But if we're talking about the one that you're following so close that his dust is landing on you, right? If we're talking about you're sincere, your heart is in it, and you love him more than anything else, you're going to talk about it. You know what the old-time phrase for that is? Soul winning. Soul winning. We don't say that much anymore, but that's what it is. Soul winning is telling people about Jesus. It's sharing our, our testimony, our walk with him, right? It's witnessing for him. And you know what else, something else that it is? It's separation from the world. It sure is. It's separation from the world. The Bible tells us that, right? We need to be separate. We need to be separate, right? That comes right down to holiness, right? That's literally what holy, to be holy means is to be separated to God, to be set apart for God exclusively. For God, we need to be separate from the world. We need to be holy, right? We need to be people, right, who are giving, right? We need to be people who are serving God, right? We need to be people who are all in. I mean, in every aspect. I mean, mind, heart, hands, right? And what you do. I don't even carry a wallet anymore. If I did, I'd pull it out and show you. And that means right here, too, your wallet, too. Because if you're not careful, that's where you'll carry your heart, is in your wallet. So, let me just end with my fourth point here. When was the last time that you took a step. I'm trying to challenge you here this morning to take another step today. Maybe maybe when I said when's the last time you took a step, maybe you thought, well, I just took one here not very long ago. And then again, maybe you thought, well, it's been a long time. Maybe you said, I've never taken a step. Whatever the case is, I'm challenging you to take another step Today. Perhaps, let me give you a few suggestions. Perhaps, it's time to increase your time in prayer. Get more serious about your prayer life. Perhaps, it's time to increase your time in the Word of God. Right? Maybe it's maybe it's time that you get serious about reading and studying the Word of God. Perhaps, It's time that you increase your efforts to win souls to the kingdom of God, to to share the gospel, the good news, uh, to share your love with the rest of the world, to tell people about Jesus, the one that you follow. Perhaps, just perhaps it's time that you increase your holiness, right? In other words, your separation from the world and being set apart exclusively for God and for His use, so that He can use you. You know, I uh, and for those of you that were in uh, our Wednesday night Bible study, we talked about fasting, and I I give Jennifer a little bit of a hard time about her definition of, of fasting. Not that I completely disagreed with it, but just I was just giving her a hard time, uh, you know, because our biblical examples of fasting is abstaining from food or food and water, uh, and and she was given the example of fasting was anything that. Uh, you set aside or quit doing so that you could spend more time with God. And uh, her point is is excellent. I might disagree with what she called it, but her point was really good. Maybe it is time. Maybe it is time that we increase our separation. Right? Uh, if you want to call it a fast, call it a fast then. But maybe a fast from the things of the world. Maybe it's time right, that we, that we did, that, that there's some things that, hey, maybe we need to just shut off the TV, right? Maybe we just need to turn the, that device that gives you access to the Internet. Maybe it just needs to be shut off for a while, right? Maybe there needs to be some separation. Maybe there needs to be some holiness. Maybe, maybe you've gotten some distance between you and the one you're following. Maybe you've left enough room to come in there that the world is able slip in there and maybe instead of being covered by the dust of Jesus you've been covered by the muck and the mire and the filthiness of this world as Jennifer begins to play I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and I'm going to give you an invitation here this morning If the Spirit of God is dealing with you this morning, I'm asking you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Don't you worry what other people think. It don't matter what other people think. All that matters is what the one that you are following or should be following, what he thinks. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you this morning, would you come, please? Maybe you've got a burden on your heart for somebody. Come and pray for them then. Whatever it is, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity.